Hello, and welcome to That's Your Field, the only podcast on the internet that moodlights as a rutabaga farmer. I'm Brad, I'm a politics junkie. I'm Jared, I'm a sports guy, I guess. I'm Alex, and I'm new here, and I'm wondering if we call you Brad or Bradley, because I haven't made up my mind, but I'm not in love with either, but I love you, so let's continue. I, I have a problem saying my own full name on the internet. Bradley just sounds weird when I we'll say We'll get you a red couch and me and Jared will be your uh, therapist or psychologist or armchair lifeologist. Why does we'll it have to be that. red? Because that's the iconic. Yeah, why does it have to be red? they're all red. All right, dive into the topics. <laughs> also, what are we moonlighting as? I a missed Ruta that. Don't let it matter. Yeah, just keep it going. It makes him happy. All right. Look, you had the opportunity to influence what I said I know I missed it. I was like, what was it? We had the ability to influence what you said. Life would be so different. That's probably true. Anyway, we've got a couple good topics for you today. He put good topics in quotes, so we're going to see what happens. Well, uh, on today's extremely cursed episode of Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, by the way. Happy Father's Day, dads. We love you. Yeah, this is how we're doing it. Hopefully, we don't disappoint you too much. Hopefully you listen to this podcast episode, because I'm not calling my dad at all today. So all right. That's false. We're, we're going to edit that out. <laughs> I'm going to edit most of this out. Why? Anyway. <laughs> so, Jared, I think before we get started with anything else, we have a, uh, a slight correction that we need to put out on our previous episode. As I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong here, about an hour after I posted our episode online about the designated hitter rule, the American League adopted the designated hitter rule. National League. But that was nationally. For, that was for the... I know, that's terrible. That was for, like, the upcoming season and the season after, I think. But then that's when the collective bargaining agreement is up and, and they'll renegotiate that and it would likely go into effect permanently. So we may have seen the final non-designated hitter game in baseball history well so check it out jared you not only last week convinced me that the designated hitter rule is good you also convinced the national league and that's very impressive yeah because this decision was made because of you i think that's that's pretty clear to everybody at this point i've hit all of my targets except for your father well you know, Out of context, that Let's sounds say that bad. was not literal. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. I'm going to abuse the crap Happy out of your dad. Wow. Anyway, so, yeah, that that's the correction. Uh, anyone who listened to last week's episode and is uh, re- really jazzed about knowing what the designated hitter rule is and how it works, well, now it applies to everyone, so uh, that's just baseball now. Yeah. Speaking of baseball. <laughs> Speaking of baseball. So, uh, you say that this designated hitter rule is going into effect for this next upcoming season. Except, based on some very vague things that you have said and some things that I have read online, there may not even be a next season. What's up with that? So, before we kind of... What, what, Alex? You were going to say something <laughs> witty. I love the idea of diving into a segment with... So what's up with that? I think that was stolen from <laughs> SNL, but who gives a shit? It's pretty funny. Can I just say how Jared had to interrupt before what he was about to say? Because he was shocked that I laughed at something Bradley said. So he was like, whoa, you must have thought of something really snarky to say. Because you wouldn't just laugh at whatever Bradley would no, say. No, you just whipped your head around to the camera like... 
To all of our listeners, I know I've given Alex for not being professional before, and he's still doing it. He's actively playing Animal Crossing while we're To be fair, I need to buy turnips for the stock markets. Uh, spelled S-T-A-L-K because it makes the most right. sense in Nintendo's that world. That is legitimately hilarious and one day we and are number going two, to I wasn't interrupting anything. Episode. I think the podcast should resume. I just thought it was funny that I actually thought something Bradley said was funny and I wasn't sarcastic at all. Jared, please well, proceed. Well, I hope you regret it What's now. up with that? <laughs> what was the question? No one really knows. Question. So, Jared, I have been reading and you have been saying to me that the fate of the next season of baseball is kind of up in the air right now. What's the deal with that? Okay. So before we kind of jump into the timeline, and I went ahead and pulled up an article from USA Today that has the exact date so we can kind of go through everything together. But what's kind of important to realize here is Major League Baseball had a tremendous opportunity where literally no other sports were going on in the world. Like, you know, you... You can't even have workouts with football. Normally, they're competing against the the end of and then the playoffs for the NBA and the NHL. There was literally an opportunity for them to start their league with, with nobody in the way, um, mm-hmm. which we've talked about in the past would be huge for Major League Baseball because they're kind of falling off a little bit. So, you know, fast forward. Normally, the season would start in March. Obviously, stuff happened with covid so oh, really? there's there, there was something going on in march no so fast forward to end of june and here we are so so let's go back to march so march 12th major league baseball announces its season will be delayed at least two weeks okay try two months the league and the players association agree to a bunch of terms on the season on march 26th so it included agreements on players getting service time, a reduced draft, which I think we talked about how the draft moved from 40 rounds down to five this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for the first time in history, or at least in a long time, uh, every single draft pick was signed, which oh. obviously is very tough to do when there's 40 rounds, but when there's five, it makes more sense. Uh, but it was in that agreement that players thought they would be getting paid prorated salaries based on the number of games played. So in other words, if someone gets paid, you know, just nobody gets paid this, but just to make it a round number, $162 million. Because there's 162 games. Yeah, right. And then you only play, well, let's put it in thousands. That's more realistic. $162,000. So they get paid $1,000 a game. So whatever the season gets reduced to, if it's 80 games, they get paid $80,000. If it's 40 games, they get paid $40,000. And so, you know, all these things get agreed to. By the way, did you understand what I meant by the service time thing? I was actually about to ask about that. Okay, so that's one of the weird, complicated things that baseball has. um, It's something called service time. And there are different ways to manipulate service time, and we can get into that in another episode. But essentially, in order to reach free agency, so you can sign with any team you want for any amount of money you want, uh, or that they're willing to pay you, I guess, Sure. you need to accrue X amount of years. Okay, So mm. you enter the league and you get paid a minimum. Right. So even the best players, right? They Mike Trout, 
at one point was getting paid half a million a season when he's winning MVPs because he hasn't accrued enough service time to get paid more, right? After I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, so after like three seasons, I don't remember the exact number of, of years, but I think it's after like three seasons, you're eligible for arbitration, which basically means you submit a number, your team submits a number uh, of how much you guys each think you should be paid, and either you work it out or it goes in front of a judge and, you know, he determines Is there a who's baseball right. judge? Tell me there's a baseball judge. I think it's like a panel, but I'm not really sure. There's a sure. player called Aaron Judge, if that counts. There is. That's close enough. It's really not a messed up mouth, sorry. Yeah, but he hits dangers. So basically, once you reach like seven years or something of service time, you're eligible for free agency, which is more than most leagues. So the players are basically saying, we have an understanding that if this season is played, we will all gain a year of service time towards that goal. Okay. Sure. Okay. April 7th, uh, there's the Arizona bubble plan, which was basically a plan that all 30 teams would play in Arizona, uh, separated from the rest of the world. Basically, the reason for that is a lot of spring training facilities are in Arizona, so they have the infrastructure to have multiple games at a time going on. You know, similar to how uh, the NBA is coming back and doing all their games in Orlando at uh, Disney World. All right, in May, May 11th, Major League Baseball owners approved an 82-game plan. While this is going on, Sean Doolittle, who's the closer for the Nationals, said, hey, we have some health concerns here. Like, when is this going to be addressed? (laughs) You also had the owners proposing a 50-50 revenue split. The players' union said, okay, if you're proposing that, we're probably going to move to a salary cap because that's how salary caps are determined is there's a split of the revenue and the players get X amount and they're, you know when you divide it among all the teams, this is the most the players can get paid. Right. Okay. We know baseball doesn't have a salary cap. Right. They have a luxury tax. So if you go over a certain amount, you get penalized for it. But it's mm-hmm. not against the rules. That's sure. why the Dodgers can spend two hundred million dollars on players every year. And, you know, you have the Oakland A's spending 40 million. Right. So that's that's kind of one of these big disparities is the lack of a salary cap. Or salary cap floor, for that matter. And Bradley, just so, to put it, everything Jared said was actually really awesomely stated. The only other tweak is sometimes it clicks more with the non-sports fans. Um, and I'll just throw myself in that category of non-sports. Basically, if you get rid of a salary cap in a sport, then the players should technically be paid, or ideally be paid, what their market thinks they're worth. Because you can exactly. spend as much as you want on some player because it's whoever's going to pay them. You know, it's, so it's... Right. It's an easier way of almost thinking about that a little bit. There's a lot of back and forth, but like that's his general idea. Yeah, that makes sense. At some point, we should do an episode on why it is the case that the richest team in baseball doesn't win the World Series every single year. But uh, that that's a conversation. Because you can't buy heart, kid. That's probably the reason. Jerry, continue. All right, so all that makes sense so far with the yeah, salary so. cap. It, it Basically, the players are worried that if they kind of allow the 
um, the precedent that there should be a a cap for how much the players can make. That's going to affect the the future salaries. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So May nineteenth, there's a disagreement over how players are going to be paid. The communication on this was was not good. Where essentially the owners said. Okay, fans aren't going to be in the stands. We're going to need you to take less money. Hmm. And the players are furious because now they're the owners are asking them for a second pay cut. Right. right? They're saying you're already getting prorated salaries. Okay, that makes sense, right? Sure. But also we're losing a major revenue stream, so you're also losing a major revenue stream. And the players are like whoa whoa Jared, whoa. Quick question, quick question because I just don't know these things and I so the uh, prorated thing makes sense. It's not even a cut. It's normally you'd be paid over 162 games. Now you're paid over 80 games. So obviously we're going to restructure right, the right. So that makes sense. The idea of we can't have all these thousands and dozens of fans at every single stadium buying all the crap every single game um, totally makes sense. But when the owners in any of the proposals have shown the players what they want to do about that loss, have they been splitting it nearly 50-50? Or are they saying 100% of those losses now are coming out to the players? Like, are they saying if we don't have any fans in the stadiums that, let's say, I, I may, I'm pulling this out of my butt, let's say that was a loss of $3 million per game. Are they saying that $3 million per game now is coming out of player salaries? Or are they saying $1.5 yes. million of it will come out of your salaries and we'll cover the other $1.5 million loss? Uh, I think they would be splitting it, but the players are saying, you know, we have a contract. Like, it doesn't matter if players are, or, or if fans are in the stands or not. You, you agreed that you would pay me this amount if games are played, and so games are being played. This is a thing I've seen a lot of in, uh, like, coronavirus times, of, like, business owners being like, oh, it's not fair that my revenue took a sharp hit. Or, like, people who went out and bought extra homes to be Airbnbs, like, complaining, like, oh, because of coronavirus, I can't make any money from this thing so like other people or the government or somebody should like cover that loss of my business revenue and it's like the purpose of owning a business like the the reason that like we allow businesses to have owners is so that somebody is the person in charge of dealing with the risks dealing with the potential downsides of owning a business as well as, like, in exchange for the upsides of revenue. I'm not saying we shouldn't be helping people, but it's just, like, so you know... let me also be very... That's what owners are for. Right, so, Bradley, I agree with everything you said. Um, oh, I hate that sentence, but I agree with everything you said. <laughs> but my thoughts are, in almost every contract or agreement of some sort, where there's any sort of level of sophistication amongst the parties and in something like the MLB with their agents and whatever and the owners, like there's a lot of intelligence in those things that every of those contracts, I'm sure, has a force majeure clause where like in the case of a fire breaks out in the middle and it takes over the whole country, if aliens come down, if it's an act of God, if there's a pandemic, whatever, that like we can all get out of these contracts because no one can foresee that kind of stuff happening. So I would be worried that if the players... Oh, there's this, I made that up, of course, but if there are $3 million lost now per game because there are no fans in the stadiums, then that sucks to be you. Like, that's the downside of doing business, just like you could have had the upside of getting all those profits all these years. I would hate, 
I feel like that same argument can be used against the players. Like, we get it. You, we signed this contract with you. We would pay you X amount for every single game, but we can't necessarily afford it. I don't, I'm sure they can afford it. But, like, we can't necessarily afford it now because we're losing all this well, anyways but, for some unforeseen But I think that's relevant. I think that's relevant. If they were saying, like, hey, here's the books. We literally can't pay you. But then let me ask then you this. Then I would so, have a lot of sympathy so, and I agree. And I, I think they're all making money on some level, even the Miami Marlins, which are awfully run. But I don't love the idea of saying we're required to show you the books. I feel like as much as we love transparency, I don't know if I want to require every owner and every single well, capacity I'm, I'm to be able to I'm not saying require. I, I'm just saying, like, I have a lot of sympathy based on what you've explained so far, Jared. Like, I have a lot of sympathy for the players basically being like, look – we signed a contract on this, you said you'd cover a certain amount of money, and, like, by being the owner of a baseball team, you signed on for the potential risk that that baseball team, for many outside reasons that you can't control, like, could potentially have taken a huge hit. If you're willing to tell me, like, oh, literally we can't stay in business unless I take a salary cut, well, show me that that's the case... And then I'll happily work with you to come up with a solution. But, like, if you're telling me, oh, well, it's going to be a huge revenue loss, but you're not telling me whether or not you can survive it, I'm going to assume that you, I'm going to assume that you can. In which case, like, the fact that you're making money off of owning this team, like, that's what you should have been saving up. For this kind of event. And, and that's not something we've actually covered on the podcast yet. We were talking about this a little bit before the podcast, but, but what they're both kind of referring to is that the the players from the get-go said, let's see the books. Let Show me how much money you guys make and prove to us that you actually can't afford it and the owners won't do that. Well, while all this was going on, there was a uh, a report that the that Major League Baseball was signing a multi billion dollar TV deal uh, for the postseason with uh, TNT or TV, TBS, I think. And so the players are kind of like, "Uh, hello, <laughs> that's a lot of money." <laughs> right. Like it seems clear to me that they have plenty of money that they could use to pay these salaries. And, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's not like the owners are taking any kind of personal health risk. You never, ever, ever, ever need to say correct me if I'm wrong. We will always gladly jump at the chance to correct you. We think you might be wrong. I understand. It's important for me to signal when I am saying something that I know I don't know whether it's true or not. Well, perhaps this will help clear things up as well. So on May 26, uh, Bob Nightingale, who's a reporter for USA Today, said this. He said, the plan, three people with knowledge of the proposal, told USA Today Sports proposes to pay players a prorated percentage of their salaries with the players who make the most taking the biggest salary cuts. The three people spoke only on the condition of anonymity because negotiations are ongoing. Younger players who make the least amount would receive most of their guaranteed salaries. The proposal also includes a sliding scale of compensation that guarantees player a percentage of their salaries at different intervals of the season through the postseason. So basically, they weren't asking players to take a strict prorated cut on a personal level. They're saying if we're paying our team you know, $100 million, 
we're going to pay you guys in total a prorated amount. You know, if you make $30 million, you may only get $6 million of that. If you make five hundred grand, you will get like four hundred fifty grand. That makes sense to me. And like, uh, that, that seems like a great solution. But the players who are making that much money, I mean, look, it, it's a, they're still making more than enough money to live off of. But how annoyed would you be if you had a $25 million pay cut? Like, that's a lot of money. It is. No, I, like, I, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that, like, that doesn't suck. Like, 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 I am curious, though, like, so are, are you saying the owners agreed to the prorated salary? That was, still... that was how the owners suggested they do prorations. The players okay. are saying, you give us if a, an exact percentage of, you know, however many games we're playing, you pay me per game what I would normally get. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So we good so far? Yeah. So May 31st, the Players Association delivers a counterproposal of 114 games uh, with prorated salaries. June 8th, Major League Baseball counters with a 76-game season, which the players viewed as a step backwards because it guaranteed players would get half of their prorated salaries with the chance to earn more if there's a postseason. So they're like, okay, yeah, you wanted... 25 or so more games than you initially proposed, but with less money. The players have come down, or the the players essentially started at 114 games. Major League Baseball started with 82 initially, okay? So Major League Baseball then comes back with a 76-game season. We talked about that. All right, the next day... The Players Association counters with an 89-game season with fully prorated salaries. The next day, Rob Manfred, who's baseball's commissioner, said, we're going to play baseball in 2020 100%. Remember that quote, June 10th. Uh We're going to play baseball 100%. June 12th, Major League Baseball makes a new offer for 72 games, so they keep coming down. Uh, and players would get 80% of their prorated salaries and up to 83% if there's a playoff. Okay, the union says, you're just being ridiculous. You know what we want. And they release a statement. And at the end, it says, it's time to get back to work. Tell us when and where. So remember, June 10th, we're going to play baseball in 2020, 100%, right? Mm-hmm. After the players say... Further dialogue with the league would be futile on June 13th. Two days later, Rob Manfred now isn't confident there will be a season, just five days after guaranteeing there will be a season. Incredible. So during all this, the players are now calling out the owners for negotiating through the media, not negotiating in good faith, which is all true. Um, (laughs) Someone had pointed out that during the draft, where, you know, all the, you know, everyone was kind of tied up in things. You know, Rob Manfred was clearly busy. There was no news about negotiations. And then as soon as the draft ended, there's news about negotiations. So mm-hmm. I wonder who's leaking stuff to the media. Um, <laughs> so the latest thing to happen was, um, and the the article ended there, but I believe the the last thing to happen was... Major League Baseball 
uh, proposed a 60-game schedule uh, with fully prorated salaries, which was a big step, and I thought, oh, we're finally getting somewhere. Mm -hmm. And then players responded with, okay, we'll do 70 games. And the owners are up in arms and furious and, you know, over a 10-game difference, which is a lot of money. I think it between all the teams equated to like a $300 million difference yes. over 10 games. So what, $10 million a team uh, if you're splitting it evenly. But, you know, now the owners are saying, well, you know, we're going to take our time with a proposal. And what's probably going to happen is they're not going to come to an agreement and the commissioner is going to have to put the season in place himself. Uh, and it'll probably be like a 48 game season. And so, you know, it kind of sucks. Like, you know, if you wanted to see baseball already, like this, this is kind of ruining things. Like I've seen a lot of baseball fans say, I honestly don't care anymore because you've kind of ruined it with all the politics. Like Jared, play a season. Jared, or don't. I, I can I don't know if it's better to say sympathize or unpleasant here, but I one of those words with the baseball fan here who's really pissed off and annoyed and it happens every time a sports locked out for any stupid of reason when billionaires are fighting with billionaires. But anyone who says I'm not gonna watch when it comes back, those are the people I believe well, the they, least. They will every single so one of them believe that. They're not saying I'm not gonna watch. They're disappointed, they're but they're not gonna change not they're not gonna vote with their dollars. They're still gonna do it. Like they're not gonna change their behaviors but, at all, which is fine, but like let's own But it. Alex, the thing the thing that this like I, I to a certain extent agree with you. A lot of people who say, Oh, I'm never watching this sport again They'll be in next week. Or Did totally I say right. that? No. But I will say that like my dad at one point in his life was perhaps the largest, most deeply felt uh, New York Islanders fan on God on God's green. Well, earth. they were pretty damn good for a while. <laughs> well, sure, but uh, as far as I know, my dad hasn't watched more than a couple games an NHL season since what was it? The lockout in two thousand and six. Yeah, I, I think so. Oh five, oh six, something like that. But like. You know, he used to take me to uh, Stars games all the time. Or maybe not all the time, but, like, we, we went a few times, and, like, it was fun. But, like, the lockout happened in 2006, and, like, for the entirety of my high school and, like, college days, I never went to a hockey game. I, I didn't go back to a hockey game or watch a hockey game until, like, 2014, when I turned on a Capitals game because, uh, you know, it happened to be on at the bar I was at and was like, oh, this is fun. Like, I should get back into this. And then I did. But, like, a lot of people did actually turn away from the NHL when they didn't play for a whole season. Now, obviously, nobody else is playing this season right now. So maybe maybe it'll be a little different, but like it is totally feasible that many marginal fans of baseball will, uh, you know, see all this bullshit going on and just say like, I don't care anymore. Well, the the What's point that? I'm trying to make is they're like, we're sick and tired of the back and forth. Like player don't like we don't care anymore, mm-hmm. right? Like if we miss a season, we miss a season, but just come up with a decision. Quit. Quit being like, oh, we're doing it. Oh, we're not. Oh, we're here and we're not. So, mm-hmm. you know, from that standpoint, it's like, and I agree with them. I'm, I'm, 
tired of, you know, every morning opening up Twitter and seeing that we're close to a deal and they literally can't even agree on if they're close to a deal or not. Baseball thought they were. The Players Association said, no, we're not. (laughs) Mm. So... They also there was like a face to face meeting between the commissioner and the players union, uh, like president or something, and there were like disagreements over who was there, and it's like how are there disagreements? You were in the room or you weren't? Like, I don't know. That's what I hate, and it's not about politics because we'll get that in a minute. But like the idea of two congressmen or. I guess, like, just the rep for the... Well, no, just, like, maybe the rep for the players union, whatever, and the, the commissioner who represents the owners. But, like, how, like, their whole goal is always to beat the other one. And, like, no, your goal is to, like, find something that everyone can live with and just make it a little bit better than the last one. Like, just keep improving. Stop trying to win everything right away. It doesn't work. That was well, personal. no, and it sucks because you have, you have owners that forever have been used to getting their way, and now we're kind of moving into a... Uh, into a time where players aren't taking that anymore. And, you know, they're being very vocal about what they want. And I think and it's happening across all leagues. And I just don't think owners are used to that. Okay. Not, not to give them own. an out, yeah. but I'm just saying, I think that's one of the reasons we're having so many disagreements, but you know, this isn't the first time that there's been huge disagreements. You know, baseball had a strike before, you know, in the 90s. So, you know, it's unfortunate that, that it's part of the game. And, you know, ideally, they they play some games this year. But, you know, we're already into June. We know basketball's coming back. Maybe. Probably. Uh, well, basketball's probably coming back in July. So... You know, then then you throw in the the whole wrinkle of they were supposed to play a lot of their games in Arizona, and Arizona is one of the newest hotspots for COVID. So now they've told all teams to close their spring training facilities and stay home. So I don't know. We'll see. Sorry, dude. <sighs> well, yeah. So you know, I guess for any baseball fans out there hoping that there will be some games played this year for you but like it seems like this is a this is a whole mess oh it's a mess <laughs> um but yeah uh unless there was anything else you wanted to cover on that uh, uh let's let's take a short break and uh we'll move on to the second one Alright, so the Supreme Court has obviously been in the news recently for uh, a variety of reasons, so yeah, talk about it. You, my friend, are a master of words. That was wonderful. That was, that was the best topic introduction we've ever done. Thank you, Jared. Yeah, so the Supreme Court uh, released a bunch of opinions this past week. For the record, today that's different is than rulings, right? Oh, what did I say? Opinions, rulings. The the rulings are opinion. Like, yeah, yeah. 
So the Supreme Court's uh, very funny in that the way that they definitively rule on something is by somebody writes a big paper that has their opinion in it. And uh, if a majority of the Supreme Court justices agree with that opinion, then it's the rule. I mean, they all discuss it a little bit ahead of time and debate it and have their clerks write some stuff and they want to see the opinion before it goes down. They might tweak some things or add a dissent. But like, it's... But simplistically, sure, what Bradley said isn't completely wrong. Continue. I'm sure I'm going to be saying that a lot. Oh, we can't all be in law school. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good that Alex is here because I only know the political side of the Supreme Court. And uh, we we need someone who knows legal things. God, this is going to frustrate me. Or at least pretends to. Blueberries, continue. So this week was, for liberal and progressive people, like a pretty decent week for Supreme Court rulings. Because they ruled on a few different things. The highest profile one was that workplace protections in the Civil Rights Act that have for a long time said you can't fire someone from your work for being black also apply to LGBT and specifically uh, trans people. So if somebody in your office comes out as trans you cannot be fired simply for that. And if you do get fired, you have, like, protections that you can, like, sue the employer under and, you know, either get your job back or get some kind of compensation. And let's just say right off the bat, like, as much as everyone on this call and all of our listeners um, think that's a great decision and it's a very just and overneeded one, those are still very hard cases to prove because employers still would only really need to show, like, some other reasonable reason for why they uh, fired <laughs> the employee in the first place and those are usually not impossible to figure out or come up with so like the cases are still hard to do but there is now this legal protection that ought to have been there from ever ago so yeah yeah i mean so it should also be said like even if they can't produce another reason why they fired you like you also have to be able to retain a lawyer to sue your former employer if you think you've been fired for being a protected category, like, either for your race or for your gender or for your sexuality. So, like, you know, obviously this doesn't completely solve the problem of people getting fired for shitty reasons, but, like, it is a great step in a positive direction. And, you know, it wasn't even a, like, 5-4 ruling. It wasn't, you know, a squeaker. Uh, like, six out of the nine Supreme Court justices voted for it. So We're going to refrain from nice. nine Supreme Court opinions squeakers, but continue. I like the term Good squeakers, time. but I, I understand your objection, and we're going to move on. So that was like a really high-profile decision that came out this week. There were a few others. Um, you know, they ruled that the Trump administration couldn't end the DACA program, which is delayed action on childhood arrivals. It's basically, uh, if you've heard the term dreamers, it's like people who were brought to the United States undocumented as children and have basically lived in the United States for as long as they can remember. And like in all senses of the word, except for on paper, they are functionally Americans, but they have sort of lived for most of their lives under threat of deportation. Like, like during Obama's first term, he created the DACA program to basically say, we are not going to deport people who, who have been here since they were young children. 
we are going to focus our deportation efforts on people who came to the United States as adults and people with criminal records. Uh, the Trump administration hated that because they just generally want to deport anyone here who is undocumented. And so they tried to just end the DACA program, but the Supreme Court basically said, no. Okay, now uh, I'm going to jump in. So, um, sure, please. The Supreme Court, for all of its um, many positives and, I guess, disappointments throughout history, and some and when it becomes a little more political and when it doesn't, they're always, and they being the judges, are always very, very particular about how history will view their time on the court. And they, for the most part, because of that, they try to stay out of most constitutional issues. And if they can rule on something on a technicality without, like, really saying the Constitution actually says this or doesn't say this, they genuinely do that because they don't want to, like, upset the whole balance of whatever. So many, many times a court, the Supreme Court will just refuse to hear certain cases because they're like, we just, we can't touch this issue because we, there's too much stuff that could happen. Like, we're not, we don't want to do that right now. This one they decided to hear probably because, like, it was a pillar of the current president's, like, just the reasons he was elected. He kept, like, hammering home his stuff on the borders and getting and deporting a bunch of undocumented workers or whatever. So I'm sure that's why they uh, listened to the case. But it should be very, very much noted that they did not actually say the DACA program was bad or unconstitutional or anything like that. I'm not going to go into the technicalities because I need to actually read them more before I comment on it. But they pretty much dismissed the case and ruled for their side because of certain technicality and procedural rules. It had nothing to do with the actual merits of the DACA program. So if... I follow a lot of Supreme Court reporters on Twitter, and the joke that a bunch of them kept making was, this was not a ruling saying you can't end the DACA program because DACA is good. It was a ruling saying the right way. You need to file more paperwork to be this. Yeah, racist. they're like, if you're gonna do it, you need to either pass a bill or do one of these other things, and then you can do it and we'll rule on it. But like the way you did just didn't work. So it wasn't. It was like mm. skating by so, instead of actually getting a victory, kind of thing. Right, and you know that's a significant portion of the Supreme Court's cases. Like Alex just said, like the Supreme Court often does not want to make really final rulings because if you make a really final ruling set a precedent right that's setting a precedent that in theory can never be overturned now obviously that's not how the supreme court works they overturn old precedents from time to time but like previous supreme court rulings are technically part of the law so you really have to be 100 percent sure in order to overturn, like, an old precedent. So, like, that's why, as an example, the, like, Jared, you're a history teacher, the, the Dred Scott decision from, uh, like, back before the Civil War, like, mm. that stood for a really, really, really long time because that was a, like, really final ruling. They set a really clear precedent on that. And so it was a very big deal when that was overturned by some other court case that I can't remember off the top of my head now. Sorry, I was on Bumble. What did you say? Thanks, Alex. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember the name of the one that overturned it. Oh, I don't know. I yeah, so the Dred, the Dred Scott decision was overturned by a different one. But the point is, like, the Supreme Court is very loath to make final rulings because that becomes technically law. 
you know. But I, like I think that there's a. And it's not, and they, and it's not that they're always scared to make rulings. It's that they are also clean, keenly aware of the separation of all the powers, and they know it is Congress's sole responsibility to create laws and stuff because they are hopefully and ideally the will of the people, and it should not be the seven or nine whatever like people who are there for lifetimes, like, they know they shouldn't be making laws. They can just, like, edit and tweak and interpret them, but it really should be Congress who people hopefully actually elect. Except we talked about gerrymandering last week, so look, it's all connected. It was the 14th Amendment, by the way. Yeah, that makes sense, actually. That overturned Red Scott. That does make a lot of sense. (laughs) But so, and I mean, I think the other thing that people need to keep in mind, and, like, you know, Alex, I apologize if this offends your legalistic sensibilities, but it's definitely a thing, so I'm just going to go ahead and say it. The Supreme Court also has to keep in mind that they are not beholden to politics in the same way that Congress people and the president are. But, like, if they make a series of really controversial political decisions, people are going to stop respecting the Supreme Court and people are going to start seriously challenging the idea of an independent judiciary. So, like, as an example... The Supreme Court, it used to be the case that this was sort of like a wholly nonpartisan group of people, and, like, the president would just pick the nine, or however many he could, like, best legal scholars in the country and put those people on the Supreme Court. But, like, the Supreme Court is no longer referred to as a non-political institution in a lot of cases. Like, they don't say, like, oh, the court's nine justices voted this way. They often say, like, oh, the liberal justices on the Supreme Court voted this way. Yeah, those way. people need to stop. They're hacks, by the way. They're not hacks. It is very, very they clear are. to me who the liberal justices on the Supreme Court are and who the conservative justices on the Supreme Court are. And anyone who pretends that if that's not true... If I asked you before true, this week, then you, wouldn't have, you would not have thought Gorsuch would have written the opinion the way he did. Fight, 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 yeah, I mean, fight, this, this fight, is a serious Don't get me wrong, fight. I think some of the justices are just idiots, but to say, like, they're political acts who, like, that's something on the forefront of their mind when they're making rulings is absolutely wrong. I think that there's always room for people to flip over to the other side, for the conservatives on the court to convince a liberal, or the liberals on the court to convince a conservative. So, like, as an example, this week, another case that came out was, like, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the famous liberal on the Supreme Court, ruled that West Virginia couldn't stop an oil pipeline from uh, moving through local communities. Like, that was, uh, she voted with the court's conservatives, but like, the fact of the matter is... It had nothing to do... That one was a similar case, though, where it was completely ruled on a procedural ground that she was right to rule on. It had nothing to do with, like, if they brought the case in the correct way, then she probably would have sided with the, with the state. But, like... Or the... Whatever. But Clarence like, Thomas is one of the Supreme Court justices that uh, has, has been on the court for a very long time. His wife repeatedly and constantly goes to Republican Party fundraisers. He's appeared at a couple of them. Like, Sonia Sotomayor is a, yeah. one of the liberal justices. She is constantly talked about in Democratic Party campaign materials and has gone to at least one Democratic Party fundraiser. It used to be the case that the, you could plausibly say, oh, these Supreme Court justices are nonpartisan. But I don't think you can really say that. Are they universally partisan in every way? No. But, like, sometimes... I'm saying there are better ones than other ones. I'm saying, like, even someone like Justice Roberts, who, like, I don't love all the time, he's a great justice in trying to keep politics out of the court and like i think that is something like he can he keeps things considered because he knows if the court starts i don't want to give him more, like put words in his mouth but like bring the ice sorry so okay whatever for, for we'll just go for, to the next topic part 
No, I mean, so John Roberts, I think, is an interesting person to bring up. He is the chief justice of the Supreme Court right now, and he is generally talked about as, like, the swing justice. In a lot of the reporting about the Supreme Court, there's, like, the four liberal justices, there are the four conservative justices, and then there's John Roberts, who sometimes judges on the side of the conservatives, sometimes judges on the side of the liberals, and, like... You know, Alex is right. It's not wholly taken over by partisanship, and there's still plenty of 9-0 rulings. But, like, I think over the past 20 years especially, the Supreme Court has been seen less and less as this totally, totally nonpartisan Supreme Court, but instead has started looking more and more like a place for more partisanship like it really escalated and i think it was what 2016 when scalia died and obama wanted to point what's his face and it just didn't happen because mcconnell held off the senate and wouldn't confirm anything mm-hmm. at that point we're like oh shit so we can really play football now at the supreme court let's right. do it we don't have to pretend anymore i mean i think that was part of the problem i think also like a lot of this really started in in 2000 with bush v gore Oh, yeah, they pretty much chose the president then. Yeah, so, like, Jared, have, do, do you teach about that case in school? Or, like, have, have you, do you know what that is? If the school year wasn't shortened, we may have gotten there. But, I mean, we, I, I'm just Texas history. Oh, that's and right. I know that was a big Florida mm-hmm. thing. So, I'm sure they talk about it in U.S. history, though, at the sure. end of the year. Okay, that, that's good because, like, you know, when, when we were in Texas public schools, I don't think we ever got that far but that was still, like, modern day yeah, for us. Yeah, that's true. So, like... Like, that's hard to get to modern right. day. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad that history is progressing both in classrooms and in real life. Yeah, so, like, Bush v. Gore was basically a Supreme Court decision in which, in a very... In, in a squeaker 5-4 ruling, I know you hate that word, Alex, <laughs> the Supreme Court decided who became president. And they decided it in my opinion, obviously, but also in the opinion of, like, a lot of, like, election experts, wrong. Technically speaking, like, that ruling was basically the Supreme Court had to decide whether Florida needed to do a recount because there were so many irregularities with voting uh, in the George W. Bush versus Al Gore election. And the Supreme Court had a majority of, uh, I know Alex doesn't like this term, but conservative justices, and they ruled 5-4, Nah, you know what? Florida doesn't have to do a recount. We're just going to stick with uh, George W. Bush uh, won, won the presidency. He, this was when he was running for president the first time. George W. Bush won. No recounts. Everybody go home. And best as we can tell, best as like people have tried to the, the most amount of recounting that they could, Al Gore probably would have won if they'd done a recount. And whoever won Florida was going to win the election. So the Supreme Court just picked a president like i i think that a lot of a lot of the way that these court rulings have happened uh what we've started to see is that like ever since bush v gore especially has been seen as increasingly political and so they don't get to be able to do what they've done in the past uh make nonpartisan rulings can i ask a question about al gore yeah go for it so there there were rumors <laughs> When we were, when we were second or third grade, the internet, we're just gonna say yes. And <laughs> is move that on. true? No, 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 no. Is that true that he said that? Is that true that he said that? I don't know. 
Oh, Bradley froze. That's fine. I don't know if he said it or not. Do we need to wait for Bradley, or do we just kick him out? What do you want to do? Hey, sorry about that. I guess uh, Skype doesn't want me talking about Bush v. Gore for the rest of this podcast. So the point is, uh, I think the court has had to make a lot more hay about, like, is it getting more political, especially over the last 20 years? Like, you know, if they make too many controversial decisions one way or the other, people are seriously going to stop <coughs> trusting the Supreme Court to be able to make nonpartisan rulings. And you've seen, like, a lot of people start coming out with, like, ways to, s- to potentially reform the Supreme Court. That makes sense. I didn't have anything I was going to fight you on yet, so I was going to let you keep going. Oh. Well, I mean, fair enough. Like, some people have proposed expanding the number of seats on the Supreme Court. Yeah, that's a dumb idea, but keep going. Well, I'm curious. What? <laughs> I know, you're just listening. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. no I'm, I'm curious. We're nine people, and we're trying to get a bunch of, Like, at some point, you can't just... The only reason people want to expand the seats is to further a certain political ideology. Even if it's sometimes one I 100% am on board with. Like, that's the only reason people want to add seats. Is because they want more justices who think like that. So, the interesting thing about that is, I think you're totally right. But I also saw a statistic uh, when I was doing a little bit of research last night about this that I thought was super interesting. Since 1988, the Republican Party has won a majority of the vote for president one time and since 1988 14 of the 16 justices that have been nominated to the supreme court have been nominated by republican presidents we're not adding seats just because we want more people who agree with us that is the wrong thing to do my personal opinion i actually agree with alex but my reasoning i think is you know you guys talked about earlier that it's you know, it's supposed to be the biggest collection or not the biggest, it's supposed to be a collection of like the best legal minds. Yeah. Like, why are we going to ex- like, it seems like it should be an exclusive group to totally. a degree, right? Like we don't, we don't just want like Joe Schmo, and it won't be just Joe Schmo jumping onto the Supreme Court, but like, I feel like the smaller, the better. Like the, I don't, I don't think there's a reason to expand it and, and just make one. things more complicated. There is not one other than like, no, don't get me wrong. There is some other thought. There's very little statistical data to back it up. There's a lot of data, just none of it really backs it up. That like, oh, well, the court has to be so picky with the cases it chooses and it can't get to all the real issues of the day. So they, if they have more justices, they could write it up more, have more hearings, and they could all be freer to write more opinions and stuff because it takes weeks and sometimes months to write those opinions. Like, and whatever. So like, oh, we could have more stuff. But no, you still have to backlog. So they all have to be there for all this stuff. Like, it just doesn't. That's a that's not a real argument. They're just trying to find another reason to be like, I want more justices to agree with well, me. On right? The court. No, like, like I, totally I am absolutely with, not like, disputing that the reason that people want to and like the 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 official like slogan of this movement is pack the court. Like they're referring yeah, to the that. thing that FDR tried to do during the New Deal, where he mm-hmm. was saying like we're going to institute an age limit on the Supreme Court, and also expand it to. Uh, like, I think, 15 seats instead of 9. And what he was planning on doing was, like, kicking all of his opponents off of the Supreme Court and just stack it with people that liked his programs. Yeah, and you know what? It didn't... Obviously, he couldn't do it for a variety of reasons there, but the best part was, within a few years after that, he got way more of, like, New Deal legislation stuff passed, so he got the ideas he wanted to do anyways, and he did it, quote-unquote, the right way, which was having, like, 
better laws written out, like, and had more of a consensus on it. And, like, so it wasn't just relying on the court to, like, rule in a favor he wanted. He, like, did it the will of the people. I don't, I hate that phrase, but he did it by the will of the people. But this, this, I think, is the problem that a lot of, like, progressive activists have been talking about for the past few years. Uh, when it came to, as an example, Obamacare, when it got to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court basically struck down one of the key portions of the law that's still seriously impacting people today, which is they said that the states don't have to expand Medicare. That's a huge hole in our healthcare system today. Am I frozen? I think I'm frozen. Yeah. Dude, this is why you don't buy old computers. <laughs> Every time. Every time I oh, start... Every time I start explaining a thing that uh, I probably shouldn't, the internet cuts out on me. I think it's a sign. For what it's worth, I'm down to 7%, even though I'm plugged in. Yikes. So, um... So, Bradley, wind your way to a, uh... Yeah. Yeah. So, (laughs) basically what I'm saying is, uh, the way that we've had our political system set up for a super long time, in order to get onto the Supreme Court, you need to be approved by the Senate. The Senate is an institution that dramatically favors the way that the two parties are arrayed across the country right now. The Senate dramatically favors the Republican Party, which is why, despite a huge portion of the country being super fine with Obama nominating Merrick Garland to the Supreme Court, he couldn't get on the Supreme Court. Because the organization that picks who gets onto the Supreme Court is biased towards Republicans, and because the presidency over the course of the last, you know, 40 years has been biased towards Republicans, there are a lot of Democratic activists who are saying, we need to reform the way that the Supreme Court works because this is not sustainable. Pretty soon, nobody progressive is going to be able to respect the Supreme Court because it will be totally packed with conservative-leaning ideologues. And that is a huge problem for our democracy. The people who choose the next Supreme Court justice, they're all electable. Oh, did he freeze or did he let me just end on that cool, powerful note? I'm back. Sorry. Um, we're going to pretend like he gave me that whole floor just to let that sit and marinate for a minute, though. <laughs> so um, quick, what are we BSing about? Oh, so you saw how this week they're rebranding uh, Aunt Jemima Syrup? Yeah. Yeah. Give me your best guess now. What should it be? No. I don't feel comfortable with that. What about syrup makes you uncomfortable? It's not that the syrup makes me uncomfortable. It's that the person they chose to represent the syrup makes me uncomfortable. That's why they're changing it. Good. Top fast food chains. Give me your top five. My top five? And you can't pick Chick-fil-A for all five, Alex. I never said I would. I had Popeyes for dinner last night. So actually, that's my number one. I did see that. Popeyes. So Popeyes is my number one. Uh, their chicken sandwich is godly, and we're not sponsored. Not sponsored by Popeyes, but like Popeyes chicken sandwich is better than any other chicken sandwich I've ever had at like a fast food restaurant by far. To me, it's a little dry, You're but it tastes good. Oh my god, their sauce is pretty good though. Their sauce is amazing. It's no, it's good. I I do think. I prefer the breading and the bun of Popeyes. I just think, and and the flavoring, but I do think Chick-fil-A cooks theirs better. It's juicier when I get it. No no accounting for bad taste. Um. Yeah, you're telling me. (laughs) Uh, 
But yeah. What's next, Burger King? No. Oh my god, absolutely no. not. <laughs> I really like Wendy's fries. Ew. Like, all the rest of their food is mad. Since Wendy's got rid of the double stack, I've had no desire to go there. That's reasonable. What are we counting as fast food? What do you want to say? I don't Clearly know, anything you can you drive through. The best food that was presented to me fast was the Korean chicken place in, uh, in Annandale. No, that doesn't count. Why doesn't that count? Nanny. It's like a Nanny. chain. A chain. Yeah, okay, so it's called Nuri Chicken, and there's three locations in the D.C. area. Oh my god, we uh, no. One, one in Grand Rapids. Alright, so Bradley's been eliminated from the conversation. What's yours, Alex? Depends on the mood. There are so many different ones. They say this is always the best one. I think it's just kind of bad sh- insane. I like all kinds. It's like That's what I'm saying. Give me five. Yeah, my top one. In no one. particular order. I consider this one fast food, even though by no objective measure it is fast food. But I love Waho. I think when you go into a Waffle House, it's just you feel like you're home. The food's going to be great. You're going to have certain stomach issues later. But it's all predictable. It's dependable. It's warm. It's homely. It's just fantastic in every level. So I know you don't like that, but I don't really give a crap. Waho. No, so Alex, you I, guys just don't understand what fast food Jared, is. No, no, no. I, I would go to bat for Waffle House on this. Alex, did you see the Reddit post that uh, some woman made that was like, "My boyfriend always wants to go to the same Waffle House, and every single time gets in a fight with the cook there." I think I read that. Yeah. Uh, it was the greatest thing in the yeah. whole world, and I feel really bad for that woman because her boyfriend is clearly in love with that Waffle House cook. But, like, the type of atmosphere that you can walk in and, like, somebody gets in a fight with their cook and everyone else is just chilling, like, continuing to eat. Oh, my God. Like, people that can pull out anyway. guns in Waffle House and you would still be like, all right, whatever, I want my food. Like, no one, it's kind of the safe zone where you will see every part of America. It's fantastic. Right. Waffle House is great. It's just not fast food. You're not fast food. That's fine. You're, you're Places you can drive through. I, I don't need to get out of my car. House. I just can only really. Do I can drive once. through Nuri Chicken. Okay, but there's like six of those, and they're all in DC. Okay, now you getting upset is making me uncomfortable. Fine, Raisin Canes is my number two. Is, does that make you happy? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Popeyes, Raisin Canes. Raisin Canes. He dropped the G and turned it into a pruned grape. All right, fine. Raising Canes. Uh, then I'd say Whataburger, actually. Only if they're okay. selling the heebie-seebie. If they're not, I don't really do. Yeah, I agree with that, actually. Uh, so, Texans might kill me for this. I think the burger at In-N-Out is better than right. a Whataburger. I'm, I'm hanging up now. But Goodbye. the what... Alright, bye. But the <laughs> Whataburger overall menu is superior. Like, the fries are better. The yeah. fact that they have stuff other than just burgers. So, yeah, that's my like take. Yeah, but menu. A little better. Yeah. I, I honestly, like, very seldom get burgers at fast food places anyway. So, like... Yeah, we know Korean chicken, man. Hey, Korean chicken's delicious. I'm sure. All right, this was a very combative episode, and also, I'm sorry my internet kept dropping out, but uh, thanks, everyone, for tuning in to That's Your Field, uh, the only podcast that moonlights as a rutabaga farmer. And doesn't know what fast food is. Apparently doesn't know what fast food is. I really let her know the last word. All right. (laughs) Uh, Thanks for listening, everybody. Good to see you guys. Uh, See you around.